You know, the longer I read the Bible, the more I am convinced it is the most relevant book that's ever been written. Like, you find something in the Bible, whether it be through a metaphor or a story or some kind of illustration, you find something in the Bible for anything and everything you're going through in life. Isn't that so? Like, anything you might be facing right now, there is something in the Scriptures that speaks directly to that. And one of the challenges in good Bible study is this. The Bible was written in a first century world that was very, very different than our 21st century world. Isn't that right? Very different. And one of the things though, that makes that particularly difficult is the first century metaphors have to do with that culture which is so much different than ours. Most of the metaphors that Jesus uses as he teaches through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are agricultural metaphors. He's always talking about seeds and soils and yoke and oxen and shepherds and flocks and fruit growing on trees. But nationwide in America today, only 2% of Americans make their living through agriculture. Do you know that? Only 2% anymore. Maybe in Nebraska, I'm sure in Nebraska it's higher than that. Here in central Nebraska, it's higher. But most of us, even here in central Nebraska, don't earn our living anymore through agriculture. And so we sometimes can miss out on the power behind some of these illustrations that we see in the Gospels. Now, even if you are a farmer or you're a rancher, you made your life off agriculture, raise your hand with me if you have any firsthand experience with sheep herding. Okay, one, two, three. See, three out of perhaps three or four out of maybe three or four hundred in this room have firsthand experience with sheep herding. And that's what today's metaphor is all about. It's Jesus, the great shepherd, and us, guess what we are? God bless you, sheep. And me too, okay? We're all sheep together underneath the great shepherd, Jesus, and he leads us. And this passage is about the good shepherd. It's about the good shepherd. We know good ranchers who will do anything possible to nurse a horse back to health after it's been injured. And we know good farmers and good ranchers that will march through two feet of snow to rescue a dying calf and then to bring it back to health through the snow. But this is about the good shepherd who cares for his flock and we are his flock, the church is the flock of God. And I think what we're gonna find here in John chapter 10 is uh, Jesus cares for us at least in a couple ways from this chapter. As a good shepherd, he wants to give us abundant life by communicating specifically to us and then by sacrificing himself for us. Those two things, communicating specifically to us and then sacrificing personally for us. With that said, look at John chapter 10, verses 1 through 4 to get started this morning. These are the words of Jesus. He says, very truly, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, remember the Pharisees are those that he tangles with a whole lot. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. 
The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Who are the characters here? The uh, shepherd is the Son of God. It's Jesus. The gate owner who opens the gate is God the Father. You have God the Father and God the Son here. And then the robbers, the thieves, in this case, are the false teachers, the Pharisees. Or in our case, it would be false teachers that you might see sometimes today in any number of different areas. I won't call any out by name. But there are false teachers out there today as well. These are the different characters that Jesus identifies at the beginning of John chapter 10. And he says he is the good shepherd who calls his own sheep individually by name, and then he leads them out to follow him. Notice that the good shepherd doesn't keep them in the four walls of the sheep pen. He leads them out into the world. Just as he doesn't keep us, the church, in the four walls of the church, he leads us out into the world. He's a good shepherd who wants us to go out into the world and to make a difference in the world, and he would draw us, he would invite us, he would woo us out into the world to make that difference. One of my best friends is a man named Matt, who is now a pastor in Ogallala, but before being a pastor, he was a rancher. And Matt and I got to know each other in college. I became a follower of Christ at Hastings College, and then Matt did shortly thereafter. We became close friends and spent a whole lot of time together thereafter. And sometimes he would come to my house in Denver, Colorado, and he would do the city slicker thing. And sometimes I would go to his house on the ranch, and he would teach me about ranching. And he was very patient as he got me onto a horse. And then he showed me how he would work with the cattle. And he was a loving rancher who had his dogs by his side, and he would point the cattle in the specific direction that they needed to go, and the dogs would help him. And he was pushing and prodding and directing his cattle, as a good rancher would do. But notice in this allegory, Jesus does it a little bit differently than that. He's not pushing and prodding and directing. He's drawing. He's inviting. He's calling by name. He's going on ahead of people and leading people out. He's leading the sheep out. And what a powerful word this is for any of us who are in any area of leadership. Leadership is not mostly about pushing and prodding. Leadership of people anyway is about inviting and drawing and being a model who goes out in front of people and shows the way and tenderly calls people by name. That's what the good shepherd does, and that's what we are invited to as well. The passage goes on, looking at verse 4 once again. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. He gives vision, and he provides a model for them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them, even though he was talking about them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate. I am the gate for the sheep. 
All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. Uh, We quote that verse number 10 a lot in here, that Jesus came to give us life to the full, As other translations put it, Jesus came to give us life in abundance. And we quote that a lot because it's one of Jesus' greatest promises to us. That he doesn't just save us, he comes to give us life in abundance here and now today. Eternal life begins with him now. But do you notice that his statement, I have come to bring you life and life to the fullest, comes on the heels of the good shepherd communicating to his sheep. Could these two go together? Oh, you better believe they go together. That part of the abundant life that God intends for us is to hear from time to time, maybe not every day, but from time to time, to hear a little something from the Good Shepherd that is directed specifically and personally at us. Here's the idea that I put on your outline. It goes like this. The Good Shepherd wants to communicate specifically with each of his sheep, but his voice tends to typically be more of a whisper. And it's a whisper that we have to tune our ears toward, that we have to spend time practicing, listening for the voice of God, such that we would receive a specific word from time to time from the scriptures for our lives or from the still quiet voice of God as we sit before him with an open posture of prayer. And say, Lord, please speak. Even to me, a sinner, I need a word from you. And my sadness a lot of times is that in the church, we've reduced prayer to like a 30-second dive bomb. Like a one-way communication that I shoot something up to God for 30 seconds, and I hope that perhaps it'll one day reach its destination. The postcard will one day arrive, and maybe God will answer that request. And that's that. But what Jesus describes here, do you see? What Jesus describes here is more of a two-way communication of us communicating with God and also God, the good shepherd, speaking tenderly and communicating with us. Because, as it says elsewhere, he calls us his friends. So he'd want to whisper to us from time to time. Now, why is it that many times we do not experience this? I think there are many different reasons, but let me give you a couple of them. I think sometimes we don't hear the still quiet whisper of God. We don't hear a nudging from God's word for us because we're fearful of it. And the reason that we're fearful of it is we know people who have said, God told me so and so, God told me so and so, and they're kind of flippant about it. Have you seen that? Have you been around that? And so it kind of makes it feel a little bit cheap. Or God told me to tell you such and such. God told me to tell you this. God told me to tell you that. And unfortunately, that's what cult leaders do. They manipulate people emotionally and spiritually by saying, oh, you can't hear from God on your own. God told me, and I need to go tell you. Cult leaders always do that. And so we obviously have some apprehension about that kind of thing. We also have apprehension, but because we've all heard of the prophet, the self-described prophet who said, Jesus coming back in 1987. 
and it didn't happen. He said, oh, I misread things. He's coming back in 1995. Oh, I misread things again. He's coming back in 2000. And, you know, we tend to kind of get burned by that guy who says that he knows this specific word from God that clearly he doesn't know. And the one thing that all of these people have in common is as it relates to their announcements about when Jesus is coming back, they've been 100% wrong, right? Which should give us an ounce of humility when we think that or other people say that kind of thing to us. But that aside, what I want to tell you today is we should still expect to hear the voice of God. Maybe not actually hear it, but have a nudging of sorts, a prompting of sorts, a listening even from the word of God that God would guide us. Why should we expect this? Because we are his children. We have God the Father and God the Son and we are his children. We are his family. We are his flock. He is the shepherd who speaks tenderly to his sheep. Now, God can speak through the spectacular, but I think the Bible tells us that generally he does not choose to do so. In fact, there's instances in the Bible in which the spectacular comes and God says specifically, God was not in that. You remember the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 17 to 19? It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. God Elijah stands up for God against the idolatry in Israel. He stands against the idolatry, all the false worship of all these false gods. And then King Ahab over Israel and Queen Jezebel say, we ain't having this, Elijah. We're hunting you down and we're going to kill you. So get this. Elijah's standing up for God and the king and queen of Israel says, no, don't do that. We want to keep practicing our idolatry. And so they threaten to kill him, and they have the resources to do so, and they run him off into the wilderness, and in the wilderness, he has an encounter with God, and it goes like this in 1 Kings 19. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by for Elijah. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the Nebraska tornado. He wasn't in that. And after, what's that? Or Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Thank you, brother. That one either. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the California earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the Colorado fire. The Lord was not in any of these big spectacular events. Are you getting the picture? Where was the Lord? He came through a still and quiet voice, a gentle whisper. Then came a gentle whisper, and right after this, Elijah falls to the ground. He puts a cloak over his face because he realizes he's standing in the presence of God. He's on holy ground, and God whispers to him in that. You know, the Old Testament, of course, was written in Hebrew. The New Testament written in Greek, and Hebrew scholars translating this word gentle whisper from the Hebrew in 1 Kings 19, say that the word might not even mean gentle whisper. It's probably more likely that the word just means silence. So the fire came through, and the Lord was not in that, and then came and the voice of the Lord was in that. You get my picture? 
Where was Elijah? Talk back to me here. Where was he? Where what? On a mountain. That's right. In the wilderness on a mountain. Right. And who was he with? He's with God. Exactly. Thank you. Was he with any other person? He's not with any other person. He's on a mountain in the wilderness alone. Silent. And he hears the still quiet voice of God. You see, it's not that God doesn't still whisper, don't believe that, do not believe that. It's that we oftentimes cannot hear him because our lives are so noisy. They're so busy with baseball and basketball. Our our lives are so noisy with Netflix. Our lives are frantic with Facebook. Our lives are worried with work. They're so busy, they're so noisy that many of us would have to be really honest and admit that we couldn't hear the still, quiet whisper of God if he chose to give it to us. Now, here's the key. If you want to listen to anyone, you need to eliminate distractions. Husbands, if you want to listen to your wives, you eliminate distractions. Wives, if you want to listen to your your husbands, you eliminate distractions. Parents, if we want to listen to our kids, If I'm going to really listen to my kids the way I should, I need to eliminate other distractions and be totally present with them. And so also it is with God the Father and God the Son. If we want to listen to God, we eliminate distractions such that we could potentially tune our ear to hear his call. Elijah knew immediately he was in the presence of God because he had spent so much time in the presence of God. He had quieted himself and he had dwelt in the presence of God, listening for God such that he was able to hear him when it happened in the wilderness. We're going to talk about this a little bit more next week because it's so critical and it's so oftentimes misunderstood. So we're going to look a little bit more into this. But here are a few principles for today. If you're serious about setting aside some time, eliminating some of the busyness, eliminating some of the noise, such that you could get in the habit of perhaps hearing from the word of God as he chooses to speak to us through his word or as he chooses to whisper to us through the Holy Spirit. Here's the first one I would say. Expect God to speak to you about you. Sometimes we want God to speak to us about someone else. Or we come to church and we say, oh, did you hear that? pastor was speaking to you. Okay. Instead, what we want to do is come to church and say, God, what do you want to speak to me? Not to my wife, not to my kids, but what do you want to speak to me? And we expect God to speak to us about us because he calls us his friend and he's a good shepherd. He calls us his sheep. And so just as you would speak to a friend directly because that's the loving thing to do, so also God will speak to you about your life directly. And if he speaks, I would say this, number two, bring a journal, bring a pen, keep pen and journal handy that you would hear if God chooses to speak to you from the scriptures. What I tend to do is I open up my Bible and I have my prayer chair that I've talked about before and I'll read through a chapter or two of the Bible or maybe I'll just be meditating on a shorter passage of the scripture and as I'm doing, I'm saying, word of God, speak. Is there something that you want to speak to me right now through your word? God, I'm open to you. I open my hands to you. What is it that you want to tell me about me? Is there something that I'm missing? And sometimes I'll just ask, 
God, things just don't seem to be right in my family right now. What, what is it that I need to change? What do I need to do to be a better father? What do I need to do to be a more present husband? What do I need to do as pastor right now? Word of God, speak, and then just sit back and listen. And I, I say bring a journal because, like, if the God of the universe whispers to you, you might want to hold on to that. That would be worth keeping. And I have a limited memory just like you do, and so you want to write it down and hold on to it and kind of examine the integrity of that. How did it happen before, and how might I expect to God do it in the future? That I would hear his voice listen when that still, quiet silence comes in again. Because again, John 10, 3, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. And we can anticipate receiving that from time to time from our good shepherd. The last thing I would say for today related to hearing God's voice is if you sit down and you ask God to speak, listen for the life-giving voice, not the voice that's condemning. Okay, there is another one who whispers that Jesus alludes to in this passage. Did you notice? Verse 10, the thief. There's a thief who comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And Jesus says, that's not my voice. I've come to give you life and life in abundance. So the thief comes in and he seeks to steal your joy, kill your peace, destroy your hope. And so we sometimes sit down in our prayer chairs, our prayer closets, and we hear this condemning word from time to time. That is not from the Lord. You sit down and you hear these accusing words that you are never going to be good enough. God would never forgive you of that. It's not just that you did something wrong, it's that you are wrong. You are the problem. Those kinds of diabolical messages come from the enemy of our souls seeking to destroy our peace, kill our hope, steal our our joy. And in that moment, we need to resist those in the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, I want your life-giving voice. Because in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So Lord Jesus, would you please give me your loving and affirming voice? I'm looking for your life-giving voice. And sometimes that'll lead us to confession and repentance. I'll tell you one of the most frequent ways that I hear from the Lord is, Adrian, this is where you're off. This is your next step of obedience, Adrian. This is where you've missed the mark, It's oftentimes a leading us back to the cross, a leading us back toward love, but it's the condemning voice that leads to bondage. It's the life-giving voice that leads to liberty. It leads to peace. It leads to freedom. I was in a rough spot a couple months ago, and um, I just started praying and asking God if he would minister to me, if he would care for me. For several days I was doing that, and I wrote down in my journal a few times, and then toward the end of the week I just paused and I realized God has answered that prayer for me, that I was asking for his personal care for me, and I didn't even realize that he had done so. So I took out my journal and I took note of it. I just thought I'd share it with you real quickly. This is dated May 14th. In the past days my heart has been wrenched. I've been in a dark place related to my marriage and related to ministry. At times I've felt hopeless, and as I have prayed for help over this past week, the following people each independently reached out to me to let me know that for whatever reason, they felt prompted to pray for me this week. Pastor Randy Madison, one of my mentors, Pastor Matt Waitley, the man I just referred to who's the pastor out in Ogallala, 
an old doctor friend in Colorado, Dr. Lisa Amarine, and then Roger McDermott, a new friend here at this church, he also reached out to me. And each of these checked in on these two areas, my marriage and my ministry. God's kindness, even for me, a sinner. I wrote down, Adrian, you must notice God's undeserved, almost unsolicited love, even for you. He is real, he is caring and just. Thank you, Lord, for whispering your kindness to me through these friends. It's just a beautiful thing. This is an answer from God, specifically for my little life. That's all I am, just a little person with a little life And God chose to whisper to me his care through these servants. I I don't know about you, but for me, there's almost nothing that's more powerful for building my faith than a specific answer to a prayer. When I'm specifically seeking God in some area, and then I wait, and I listen, and I look for it, and I examine the integrity, and I write it down, There may be nothing more powerful for strengthening my faith than that. This is is the work of the Good Shepherd. He guides us, He whispers to us, He leads us, and also He sacrifices Himself for us. And He would give us abundant life through these two means by guiding us and leading us, and by sacrificing for us. Here's how I put it in your outline The Good Shepherd sacrifices Himself so that the flock can have more abundant life. He sacrificed himself for us for this purpose, that we would have more and better life in him. Not just waiting till we die, but even now. Verse 10 again, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and you may have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now this may not be true of all hired hands, well with the sheep, but what Jesus is saying here is, I am totally invested in my sheep. I die for them. I own them, and I die for them. I am the good shepherd who's willing to give my all for them. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The goodness of God to lay down his life even for us. This is Jesus. He lays down his life for us. He searches far and wide for other sheep who are not yet part of this flock for the purpose that he might bring them into this flock as well. You think of the beautiful song, The Reckless Love of God. He leaves the 99 to find the one, which of course comes out of Luke chapter 15, 
that this is what he's done for each and every one of us. At one point or another, if you have bent your knee to Christ, how that happened is he left the 99 to find you. And he called you by name and you said yes and you entered into his flock and you are now protected by him both for time and for all eternity. This is the kindness of God. And he says, I must do this. Look at verse 16 and underline those two words. Jesus says this is such a great task that I must bring others in also. Jesus is not content with who he already has in the church. He must go out and find others too. He's died for them as well. It's an urgent task that he would invite us to be a part of together, that there would be one flock and one shepherd over the sheep, that he would reconcile us all to God, that he would reconcile us to each other, that there is one flock with one shepherd, that there's no more divisions between Jews and Gentiles and the different ethnicities, no more divisions but between classes, no more divisions between people who sin this way and people who sin that way. We are one. We found level ground at the foot of the cross. Because... He laid down his life only to take it back up again that we might have life and have it to the full. My friends, there's nothing greater than these two to know that the good shepherd wants to whisper to us, to communicate with us specifically, carefully, by name, to care for us where we are and to realize that God loves us so much that he left the 99 to die for you Personally, by name, he went to the cross for you. He was risen again to validate our faith, to validate our full trust in him, and through his love, we might have abundant life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we say together as one church family, it's true, you are the good shepherd. And we delight, we delight to be your sheep. Thank you, Lord, that you call us by name and you love us. And uh, we've been injured and broken down and we have a lot of skid marks on our lives. And yet you came and you got us. And we have struggled in different ways. We have different kinds of sins that we've uh, messed with and you came and you got us anyway. And you don't just save us for eternity. You save us for now. And you are the good shepherd who desires to communicate with us. And so we just say by faith, we, we really want that, God. We want to grow in that. We want to grow in our ability to, to listen to your voice. Father, I'm praying for my friends in this room. I'm praying for my friends who are watching online right now that you would give us courage this week to clear some of the noise, to clear away some of the busyness, that we could create moments that we would sit in your presence and anticipate that you might speak to us through the scriptures. That we would come to you with our earnest prayer requests and that after asking them, we would listen. We would create space. That perhaps we could hear the voice of God through the silence. We, We don't expect you to talk to us. We don't expect you to verbally say something to us, but we would love, Lord, for you to guide us, 
in some area of need that we have. I'm not sure what it is for you, but maybe you tell that to God right now. As we just take a moment of silence, maybe you would confess to God, this is where I need your help right now, Lord.